Welcome everyone to today's devotion. I'm doing it from home for reasons I'm sure you can guess. Um, but uh, we are in Mark chapter 4. And um, uh, what Mark 4 is is all about is there's really two sections. The first is a series of parables. And the latter part of it should actually probably be part of chapter 5. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. Um, but it, it is a miracle of Jesus where he calms the uh, storm. So what is significant about the parable section is Matthew has a similar uh, section where it's an entire chapter on the kingdom parables. If you've been joining us on Sunday mornings, whether in person or online or even on the podcast, then you know that we are um, we've we've looked at the first two of Matthew's kingdom parables. And we spent some time on them back when we went through Matthew months ago. Uh, Mark has two of those. Actually, no. Yeah, he has three of them, I think. Um, but then he adds two that aren't in Matthew's. Um, and actually, one of the more uh, unique um, items of Mark is found here in chapter 4. It's one of the parables we'll, we'll look at. So being that we've looked at most of these parables before, I don't want to spend forever on them. And if you want more details, particularly on the uh, parable of the sower, um, we just looked at that on January 3rd on a Sunday morning in some detail. So... Um, um, and I believe whenever I preached through Mark years ago, I think I spent two two weeks on the parable of the sower, um, I think. So anyways, let's quickly look at the parable of the sower and move forward. Uh, you have a sower who sows seed. He lands upon the pathway, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And it is later explained after Jesus doesn't explain it to the crowd, but he explains it to the disciples. Unfortunately, we are beneficiaries of that conversation, so we know what the parable is all about. Uh, the sower is anyone who sows the word. And so it lands, um, some, sometimes it'll land on the pathway, and it'll immediately be consumed by birds or whatever. This is the person who hears, but does not receive the gospel. Um, this is the stubborn here. There are those uh, that, that sow the seed and it, and it lands on the rocky soil. Uh, these describe those who hear the word, receive it, but only uh, temporarily. Um, there, because it's, the soil is rocky, it doesn't, um, doesn't take root. It shoots up really fast. Um, and so what you get out of that is someone who seems really excited about Jesus. But because of... Um, uh, afflictions because of difficulties, because of hardships, because of getting out of the, the, the habit. You know, that's one of the main concerns uh, churches have regarding COVID and the post-COVID world. Uh, we're, 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 it's going to be about a year or more before we're able to get back into what we used to call normal. Um, and what will our churches look like then? Uh, being that people are out of the habit of of gathering for for worship on a regular basis, then there are those that uh, are on the thorny soil. So they receive the word, and uh, they hear it and receive it. But again, it's only temporary. Yet the issue here is that of idolatry. Jesus mentions um, uh, uh, greed in particular, but certainly isn't limited to that. Although I will say, greed is a very strong idol in America. How many of us are more motivated by economics than we are morality? And if, if the two can line up, great. But if not, we'll choose our economic futures above our integrity. It is very much describes America. I think I discussed yesterday with uh, the uh, unpardonable sin how uh, the prosperity heresy 
is a uniquely American phenomenon, and only America could have uh, birthed it and um, spread it uh, around the world, particularly in third world countries. But then there is the, um, the, the good soil. This is the person who receives the word, they hear, they receive, and they um, persevere through it. There, there's depth of roots, um, and then, then it is able to grow, and not just grow, but it produces fruit. And so uh, he will describe it as they accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, which is incredible growth, um, may have a connection to the story of Isaac in Genesis. Again, if you, if you go back, I preached on it a few weeks ago. I have all the details there. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the question of the parable is, which soil are you? The issue isn't the word sown or the sower, but where did it land? Uh, which soil are you? Do you hear and receive the word permanently? Or are you still struggling with some of these, these other areas? Well, then we get... Um, um, we get uh, the parable, my, so my uh, ESV heading is the parable of the seed growing. It's not a very catchy title, but it is what it is. There's a chance I'm going to preach on it before Easter. We'll see how the calendar works out with you know, COVID and stuff. You can't make a lot of predictions about the future. Uh, but this is unique to Mark. It's not found in Matthew, Luke, or John, because uh, John doesn't really include hardly any parables. Um, I mean, he, he's got a few brief ones, but not developed the way they are in the synoptics. Uh, verse 26 of Matthew 4 says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it itself, first a blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest time has come. Um, I, I think this simple parable, we're not given a clear explanation of what it is. The context helps with it, but I actually think it's quite a simple um, inter interpretation and meaning of the parable. Notice here that the a man goes and sows seed into good soil, right? So, so we're we're dealing with the last of of the previous parable, and it grows, but but the farmer doesn't do anything about it. I know it's more complicated than that, but just let the parable be what it is. Uh, he sows the seed, and he goes home and sleeps. The seed still grows. I think. Um, the simple explanation of this is our job is to sow seed. Leave the results to God. You don't know if it's going to be sown on good soil, bad soil, or no soil. Your job is to sow seed. Now, that is where, let me be critical of American evangelicalism, we are sowing seed, we're just not sowing the gospel. And this is how you get the mess in cities burning down and our capital being attacked. If we would sow the gospel, we would produce the gospel. But when we sow ideology in soapboxes, what we get out of that is ideology in soapboxes. So let us sow the gospel and trust that God will take care of the rest. Our responsibility is the gospel. And so let's sow and let's go home. God will take care of, of the rest. So let the priority of us as Christians and our priority as churches to be the sow the gospel. Sow the gospel, only the gospel. Clearly, the last five years have demonstrated that we have not been doing that 
as American evangelicals. Well, then we get the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, I preached on it this last Sunday. I don't want to spend forever on it. Um, or actually, I'm going to preach on it this upcoming Sunday. So I don't, you know, spoiler alert. Um, but actually what Matthew does is he has two parables that essentially have the same message, whereas Mark includes one. Matthew has the mustard seed and the leaven. Mark just has the mustard seed. But the, the meaning is still basically the same. Mustard seed uh, is small, yet it grows tall. Matthew, he adds the leaven, which is small, which spreads out. Um, and I think they're both related. At least that's the argument we'll make Sunday morning. So the mustard seed, again, though small, grows grows large, so large that the birds are able to, to nest in its large branches. We may talk about that some Sunday morning, but I don't think, I don't think we should, sometimes birds are birds. Now they may have other meanings, but as a general rule, Sometimes in a parable, a detail is a detail that doesn't have some spiritual hidden message in it. We make a lot of mistakes when when we, we do that. But to keep it simple, um, mustard seed here is small, but it grows. So too the kingdom of God in the time of Jesus seems small and insignificant. But given enough time, the power of God, you will find that it will become incredibly large and powerful. That really is the history of, of Christianity, isn't it? After three to four hundred years of Christianity struggling, uh, well, that's not even true, even while they were being persecuted. Uh, even at the peak of their persecution, Christianity was 10 to 20 percent of the Roman population. And so by the fourth, I think it's fourth century, Constantine becomes the official religion. That's never a good, good idea when Christianity becomes official religion. But it does demonstrate that what started out as a mustard seed, a man dying upon a cross, largely alone, and abandoned. It's turned into a worldwide religion because it's a mustard seed and the birds of the air, whatever those might represent, if anything, nestle in its branches. Well, those are the parables that um, Mark gives. We skipped one just for sake of time, but I want to look at how the, the chapter ends. Remember, the chapters aren't uh, inspired. Uh, they were added later. And so I would prefer this story to be included in chapter 5 because Jesus is going to heal a demoniac. And I think that this story is connected to that story. Um, and, and the conclusion of this story is one of the key, not the only, but one of the key evidences for that. Remember that the, the gospel Mark begins with, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And so his identity is revealed over and over and over again. Uh, but so far, it's only been the demoniacs who who have declared that Jesus is the Son of God. Even his own family have, have largely um, uh, abandoned him. But here we're starting to see the tide turn among the disciples. So, verse 37, a great windstorm arose, they're out at sea, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already feeling. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushions. Interesting, isn't it? He just told the parable about a man who sows and went to bed. And here he is, asleep. Is that a direct correlation or a connection? I, I don't know, but it is a, an interesting connection nonetheless. Um, uh, and he, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind in the sea, and said, Peace be still. Um, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, this is the point of the story, isn't it? It is that question asked by the disciples. Who is this that is Lord over creation? 
And in the next story, it's who is this who is Lord over the cosmos. So um, you can see where the story is going. In fact, I believe there are hints of a, of a spiritual battle going on here. We may talk about it tomorrow, um, but it's not hard if you're looking for it, the way the, story is, uh, the storm is described, for example. There's some parallels to, to how um, some of the more uh, supernatural elements of Mark, um, how, how he describes uh, the demonized. Anyway, so, so that's the issue. Who is this man? He's a man of parables. He's a man of power. And Lord willing, we'll see more of that tomorrow. See you then.